Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. How many of you uh, know that personally? There is a place of freedom, and that place of freedom has a name. If you know his name, say it with me. Jesus. And if you came this morning and you've not experienced that place of freedom, good news, it's not too late. It's not too late. Can I tell you, I'm excited this morning. I don't have to have an interpreter. Yeah, you know, I preached over in Africa for about 10 days, and you can imagine how that works out, right? Uh, Y'all know most of you know that my ADH, whatever another, uh, causes me to be all over the map and... Oh, that's hard to do when you're waiting on somebody to catch up with you the whole time. And so, you, yeah, you pray for those that heard the messages that God would take something, you know, and do it uh, because, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So if you have your Bible this morning, uh, I want to encourage you to join me in John chapter 4. Will you do that? John chapter number 4. And we're going to start at the very beginning of John 4, and we're going to go all the way down. You ready for this? Through verse number 26. How about that? John 4, 1 through 26. It's a familiar passage with a lot of you. And so what I'm going to be praying, and I have been praying, is that familiarity will not breed contempt in your heart. In other words, I don't want you to say, well, I've heard this already, and to put it on uh, cruise control or not to listen to what God wants to say to you today. You know, the Word of God says about itself, it's living and active. And for that, I am so thankful because I can study it for the rest of my days, and it will still have application for me on the very moment that I read it, all right? So, can we smile together one time? Y'all look frustrated, all right? Yeah, everybody okay? Yeah, all right, all right. So, we start out with baptism, and then we praise God, so we ought to be fired up on the inside, right? Uh, Here we go, John chapter number four. And as we get started, before we read, I'm going to just sort of uh, remind you who John's written this letter, recording the life, teachings, and times of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in John chapter 4, we see Jesus meeting a lady beside a whale. So uh, I noticed that we have, and by the way, uh, you look good this morning. Everybody matches? And uh, well, Tina would tell you that I wouldn't know the difference. So, <laughs> but you look great today, and I'm, I'm thankful that you made it on time. And I'm, as I'm thinking about the message this morning, I know there's some young people in the room. And so sometimes it's hard for, for young people, middle-aged folk, older folk to pay attention. And so I want to encourage the young people in the room to do two things for me. Make sure mom and dad stay awake or whoever brought you, make sure they stay awake because they'll doze off on you. And I can't see their faces always, so y'all help me, all right? Check up. And the second thing I need you to do is I want you to draw me a picture based on what you hear. Now, the characters in the, in the, in the historical account is going to be Jesus, a woman at the well, a uh, whale, and, and so you just, maybe you draw a whale today. Maybe you draw, I had a couple come to me this morning and show me. So come show me. I'd love to see what you guys put together as you listen and put on the drawing what you hear, okay? Now, let's dive in. John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet with me in honor of reading God's Word. John chapter number 4. And you're standing because this isn't a comic book. It's not a literary work. It is the inspired, inerrant infallible word of the living God, recorded and preserved all the way down to the day you and I are here. And so we thank God for it, and we stand in honor of it, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, even though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judah, uh, Judea rather, and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria uh, came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away and city to buy food. Well, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Well, Jesus answered that comment and said this, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said back to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us, this, uh, gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered that statement with this, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will, y'all say this with me, never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will in fact become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, the woman said back to Jesus' comment, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, that I don't have to come here to draw again. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, Well, you've well said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said back to that comment, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) I bet she did. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But, and thank God for this but, the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is, and I love this, is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said back to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, get ready for the mic drop. I who speak to you am he. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Will you bow with me? I want you to, as you bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute, consider this. Jesus said about the Father, he's seeking people to worship him. I love that. That means right now, God who sits on high is looking down low. And he's looking down low all the way into this little worship center out in the middle of nowhere. And he's seeking, he's looking for something. He's looking for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. So Father, as we've come to this sacred hour, We ask you, Lord, first to help the preacher, God, because you better than anybody know I'm less than ordinary. So, Father, would you take all of my weaknesses and frailties and, and God, would you put on display here today through the powerful preaching of your word that you, in fact, can use anybody, anywhere, and at any time. Let that be hope for the hopeless. And, Father, as you preach through me, would you also preach to me because I, as much as anybody, needs to hear what you have to say. So now, would you cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat, remove every distraction, and may it be as if you are speaking to us and we're the only one in the room with you. So speak now from heaven, we're listening. And we ask it with great expectation in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you, you may be seated. And as you're being seated this morning, we're going to rewind all the way back to the beginning of the account between Jesus and the woman at the well, okay? And what I'd like to do is, if I could, give you a title of the message, and the title is Looking for Something. Looking for Something. It's actually a question. Have you ever had anybody ask you that? Are you looking for something? 
usually it's because you've entered a room or you've entered a place and you have a look on your face. Do you all know the look I'm talking about? Right? Your kid's coming to the room or you come into the room and, 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 and Tina does it. She can tell it when it's on my face. I won't even be yet looking. She'll say, you're looking for something. I'm like, yeah. And I hate to ask her because she always knows where the thing is, you know. I'll go try and look, and then I come back and say, hey, can you help me with it? And she'll go show me where I was looking, where the thing is, and that really gets me fired up. But there's this power that I want to talk to you about this morning, the power of want to. Did you know that want to is a very powerful thing? You thought about that this morning? You know why you're here? Because you want to be here. Or somebody wanted you to be here, right? Uh, so you want to, power of want to. Want to will lead you to do things. Want to is the motivator that causes us to act. If you want to do something, generally speaking, and it's in your means to do it, you are in fact going to do it. The power of want to. It will also lead you to do things that really in the moment you may not want to do, but you find yourself in want and doing them anyway. You ever, find, you ever look in the mirror and say, I did it again? You didn't want to Yeah, you did want to do it. You didn't want to want to do it, but you want, oh, we better stop. And so we find that this want to is a very powerful thing. So at the same time, let me flip the coin. I would say to you that equally as maybe even more powerful than want to is satisfaction. When you are satisfied or content, would you agree with me that it is also a very powerful thing? Amen? Matter of fact, the Word of God says godliness with contentment is great gain. If a person can get to a place where they're not constantly wanting, all right, then what we find is what we have recorded for us in Psalm 23 in verse number 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I'm satisfied. In other words, I have all that I need. I lack no good thing. So this morning, we're going to dive into this passage and see how Jesus applies to that equation, okay? Let me, if, you, if I could this morning, give you, as I start out, what is the main idea of John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26? It's just simply two words, and the two words are, Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Now, if someone's going to ask you tomorrow, what'd you do? I got up and went to, went to worship, went to small group, went to worship, and I learned something. What'd you learn? I learned that Jesus satisfies. And I learned that only Jesus satisfies. Matter of fact, we posed the question looking for something, and then we answered it with Jesus satisfies. Okay, now I'm going to answer that, and I want to point out to you from this passage, you ready for this? Six different things. Aren't you glad you came to late service? Nobody's rushing you to get out of here. You know, you just get to settle in and enjoy and just let me wax eloquent. All the Y'all looking nervous. We're going to be all right. We're going to get through this thing together, okay? Six things I want to point out from this passage, beginning in verse number four, okay? Now, if you're our guest, we're going to walk through this message, what we call expositionally or expository style preaching, meaning we're going to go verse at a time. I believe with all my heart it is the reason for which God is doing what he's doing out here is expository preaching, verse at a time, letting the Bible inform us, not letting us inform the Bible. Does that make sense? So my work and my gifting is to determine what is said through careful study and much prayer and then deliver it to his people in such a way that we know what it said. Listen to this statement. The Bible can never say what it never said. Ah, we have to be careful about that, okay? So here we go, Roman number one in your notes. Jesus satisfied, number one. Jesus, we're going to find this in verses four through six. Jesus became like us for us. Jesus became like us for us, okay? Can we say that together, all together? Jesus became like us 
for us. All right, now I'm going to flesh that out, talk about it after you've got it written down. Uh, I want to encourage you to write a few notes. If you're our guest, you're looking around and say, man, where are all these people got notebooks? And we believe Jesus is the master teacher. We ought to be master students. To be master students, we need to write a few things down so that we can go out of here and make disciples, okay? So, uh, writing this down, Jesus became like us for us. Look in verse 4. It tells us <clears throat> that he, Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. Now, I need to tell you something about Jesus' need. It wasn't that Jesus needed to go to Samaria for some satisfaction or completion of who he was. He always has been Jesus. He always will be Jesus. Did you know the Word of God says that before time began, the Word was God and the Word was with God? In other words, Jesus didn't begin on Christmas Day. That's just when he took on the form of a man. And so we find here that Jesus uh, needed to go through Samaria. And here's what I love. He needed to go there because there was a woman in need. He needed to go there because there was a woman who didn't even know that she was thirsty, her soul was thirsty, and she had no idea that he was the one who could meet her need. I find it so encouraging this morning that Jesus needed to go through for one particular lady to come to know God the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, okay? So look back with me, if you will, verse 4. He needed to go to Samaria. Quickly, you need to know, between the Jew and the Samaritan, there was the greatest level of racism that the human race has ever known. I know that you see the gross, ugly, misguided racism that is oftentimes plaguing in America, but I'm telling you it pales in comparison to the hatred for the Jew and the Samaritan. They considered each other devils and dogs, Matter of fact, they would go out of their way to go around each other's territory, and in the event they had to go through, they would take and dust the dirt off the bottom of their sandals so as not to bring that cursed dirt out of the locations where either the Jew or the Samaritan lived. Isn't that something? Isn't it interesting how human beings can be toward one another? And Jesus needed to go, a Jew needed to go into Samaria. Let me read a little further along, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, that the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, oh, I need you to see this, he became like us for us. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, because his well was there, being, I want you all to help me say this, being wearied from his journey. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment what it's like to be tired. How many of you know what it's like to be tired? Raise your hand if you ever know what it's like to be tired, okay? Some of y'all just are not going to raise your hand no matter what, are you? I know, you're too tired. To raise your hand. So, in life, we have experienced being tired before, right? <clears throat> now, uh, notice that in this particular day, God had become a man. And most likely somewhere in his 30s, he's traveling down a road and he's walking. And I began to ponder in my mind what it was like or when it was for Jesus that he first experienced what it's like to be tired. Let me tell you something. It wasn't in eternity past. Because God, the Scripture says this about God. He does not grow tired, nor does he grow weary. He doesn't sleep, nor does he slumber. So, God in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, never knew what it was like to need to sit down and catch your breath. Y'all ever know how to, you ever need to sit down and catch your breath? Or to need to rest. And so, what we find is in the middle of this passage, a very important truth. He became like us for us. For the first time, God understood what it was like to be Weary and tired. Can you see him? Listen to me. He breathed. The, the word in the scripture is nuema in the, in the New Testament. The word is nuema. It's wind. It's, it's spirit. And so imagine that from Genesis to Revelation, we see the wind of God's breath 
creating everything that he is. He speaks it into existence. He breathes into Adam the breath of life, and now here he is having to sit down and catch his own breath. And for the first time, God knows what it's like to be me and you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. We now have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. You know why he can sympathize with our weaknesses? Because now he's been a man. I want to say something to you this morning. It would be hard for me to worship a God. And I'm not saying I couldn't do it. I said I wouldn't do it. I'm just saying it would be very hard for me to connect with a God who has only been God but never been man. But I'm going to tell you something. It is such a wonderful thing in my life to be able to talk to him and know he understands what this weakness is like. The Word of God says about Jesus, he was in all points tempted, and yet he lived it perfectly. And so when I want to know what it's, or when I, when I feel like in my life nobody understands me, I want you to know he knows what it's like to be abused. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be talked about, mocked. He knows what it's like to not be the popular guy. He knows what it's like to be separated from the Father. He knows what it's like to be, oh, you can just go on and on and on. I want you to understand something about Jesus. He understands you. And he stopped there because he was tired. And I love that. Because when I get tired, I love the fact that I can talk to my father and know he knows what it's like now. God, I'm weary. I'm tired. And to know I'm not talking on deaf ears and he's not looking down at me and saying, you know, put your chin strap on and go on. But he meets me right there in the, in the hour. So uh, Jesus became like us for us. So he went there to meet with her, but he's wearied from his journey. And in verse 6, he says, he sat there by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now I want to move on to number two, if I can. First observation, Jesus became like us for us. I'm so thankful I have a high priest who knows what it's like to be a human. Number two, write this in your notes. Jesus became like us for all of us, all right? So the first time we said Jesus became like us for us, but we're going to add one word to that and say it again. You ready? Jesus became like us for all of us. Now, where do you get that, Pastor? Remember where he's gone. He's gone to Samaria. There's some things going on in the situation I need you to understand. First of all, a Jewish male did not generally speak to females in public. It was not something that was done. It, wasn't, it, was, it was taboo, if you will. Uh, much less did a Jewish male speak to a Samaritan female. Much less did a rabbi, Jewish rabbi, teacher, uh, speak to a Samaritan female. Y'all with me? So we have some major cultural stuff going on, um, and it proves to us that God is not a respecter of persons. What do you mean by that? He doesn't respect me? No, no, no. What I mean is he doesn't choose some over others. The good news of the gospel is for whosoever will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, I'm thankful today because I've done some pretty rotten things in my life. And so let me just read if I can. Put your eyes with me on verse number 7. Verse number 7, Jesus became like us for all of us. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus begins the conversation. Now, listen to me. She could never have culturally spoken to him. Let me say this again. Not only could she not have, she would not have spoke to him first. It was the wrong thing to do. But aren't you glad that Jesus instituted the conversation with her? Imagine, she's coming silently, she's getting water, Uh, not a fun thing to have to do, but she's getting water, and I'm thinking about all those that I saw in Africa toting those uh, five and ten gallon buckets of water for four and five miles, and so she's carrying this water, she's having to do it all the time, cumbersome thing to do every single day, and as she's doing this, here's this Jewish rabbi, and he starts a conversation, and what does he say? Give me a drink. Don't you know it kind of startled a little bit? What do you mean, give you a drink? Why, you're you talking to me? Let me just read a little further. So verse 7, he says, give me a drink. 
For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria, I just want you to see this. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, being a Samaritan and a woman? How in the world, why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to be talking to me. You know, sometimes I look at the fact that God talks to me and speaks to me and that he drew me to salvation, and I have that same sort of attitude. I'm like, why would you even talk to me? Why would you even speak to my heart? Why would you, you know, like why would you talk, y'all don't have that look. I know you guys are like super spiritual people out there, but I'm talking from my little limited perspective, and I just can't, I hadn't gotten over the fact that God would speak to me and that he would draw me and call me into salvation and, and guide me every day. And so she says, what are you doing talking to me? This is not normal. Well, what we're learning here is that Jesus became like us for all of us, not just for the white person, not just for the dark person, not just for the tall person, not just for the skinny person, not just for the educated, the uneducated. He came for all of us. It is the great whosoever of the word of God. It's John chapter 3 and verse 16. What do he say? For God so loved the world, the whole entire world. You know what that means? Even you. And it means even me. And when he went to this Samaritan, it was very intentional. He needed to go there to prove a point. He needed to prove a point that he was weary from the journey, that he has become like us, for us. But he also is proving by the way he's living, not just what he's teaching, but by the way he's living, is that he came, became like us for every single one of us, all of us. Anyone can come to know God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Number three, look how quick y'all are listening. Y'all going to get out of here before lunch. Verse 10 through 15, some of y'all just turned your listening ears up, didn't you? You said, we're going to get through early, I'm going to listen harder. Uh, verse 10 to 15 in John 4, I want you to write this statement. First, we said Jesus became like us for us. Second, we said Jesus became like us for all. It doesn't matter where you've been, listen to me, or what you've done. He came, became like us for us, for every single one of us. Fine, I mean, thirdly, we are our greatest, and listen to this and see if this doesn't grab your heart. We are our greatest obstacle to being rescued. Now, I want to get you, direct your attention to verses 10 to 15 because he's offering her something and she's just not getting it, all right? I'm reminded of something they taught me uh, when I first started swimming, and they were talking about when somebody is drowning, you need to be uh, trained in order to save them. Do, are you with me? How many, do we have any lifeguards in the room that have ever done any lifeguarding? And so they teach you that a drowning person is one of the most dangerous things you'll ever get a hold of, right? Uh, they said they'll drown you in a minute. Why? Because... They're panicking, right? And oftentimes they'll reject your help. And I'm reminded of times I've been in the room with people who've been choking before. Myself, about two weeks ago in the kitchen at South Campus on a weekday, I turned away from everybody. And then when I finally got the thing dislodged, I turned around and said, y'all, I almost choked to death right there. And they said, that's funny, we didn't hear you. I said, yeah, because I wasn't making any sound. There was no oxygen getting in or out, you know. But in my wisdom, instead of turning to the group to say, hey, somebody help me, I turned away from them, you see. And so we are our greatest obstacle to rescue. We're so hard-headed and set in our ways. And you know what? You know what? People say to me all the time, they say, man, aren't you fired up that people get saved every time y'all gather and people? And I say, yeah, yeah. But it's balanced with, I know there are people who will go out of these doors every time we gather and are as lost as lost can be. And they've heard the good news, so they're, they're now they're accountable. They're, they'll never have an excuse. And they just keep arguing their way out and keep hardening their heart. And it just, I'm telling you, it breaks my heart because we're our own greatest obstacle. Listen to what she does. So he's, he says to her, I've got, I've got something to offer you. Pick up in verse number 10. 
Uh, she just told him, Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. What are you doing talking to me? He came for all of us. Verse 10, but Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew, and I want to stop right here, if you knew, say these four words with me, the gift of God. So he says, if you knew, you don't know because you're your greatest obstacle. You don't see me for who I am. But Jesus said, if you really knew the gift of God. Now, now, my question for you is, why would Jesus, God the Son, choose to identify himself as the gift of God? The gift of God. You understand about how God relates to us is that he has to do it uh, he has to relate to us on our terms because we're limited and he's not. So when God chose the word gift there, he understood something that you and I know about gift. Two things, as a matter of fact. First of all, you and I understand that a gift is free to the recipient. Is everybody in acknowledgement with that? If I said to Dylan, Dylan, I've got you a brand new set of Klein, you know, stripping tool. I mean, I, I just went off the chart with it. I got the most expensive, and I'm going to give them to you for a gift, but all you got to do is come wire me four plugs in my, in my house, and you can have them. Oh, that'd be a wage. Dylan said, no, I ain't a fool. You just traded it out. I did some work you gave me. So that wasn't a gift. If I was to come to you and say to you, uh, tell you, I've got you a gift, man, for your birthday, but listen, before I give it to you, I need you to come cut my grass and restraw my flower beds. I tell you, what'd you say? I tell you, you said, oh, man, that ain't a gift. I'm, I'm earning that, right? So by definition, a gift to the recipient, somebody help me, is free. So Jesus is identifying with this lady to let her know she can't earn him. Her life, listen to what he's doing now, because you're going to find out in a minute her life is all kind of jacked up. You with me? And he's letting her know up front that the gift he offers, oh, I hope you'll pick this up, is not based on her performance. In other words, she can't earn him by being good enough. Oh, that's good. Aren't you glad? You don't have to be good enough to earn Jesus. Two of us, me and who is that over there? Two of us in here, me and Drew, are fired up that we don't have to earn. The rest of y'all must be living really, really holy, awesome lives. Uh, we can't earn him. We cannot earn him. And so he says to her, the gift. But the second thing about a gift is that a gift has to be, in order for you to enjoy it, if I was to get Richard a new rifle, I said, man, I got you a new rifle. I got this blackout scope, and, man, you can hunt it. And I got his name on it. Now, what's your favorite color, Richard? Green. I got it wrapped in green wrapping paper in Richard's name. Richard owed him on it. It's his gift. And we, he tried. I ain't lied to you yet. So he would think it was in here. But he walked out the door, and it's, the rifle stayed in the box wrapped in his favorite green wrapping paper with his name on it. That rifle would have no effect in his life. He'd have no joy from it, nothing. Why? Because he didn't possess it. He didn't open it up. Here's the word in the Scripture. He didn't receive it. You need to write in your notes somewhere. The thing about a gift, the gift of God, it's free. You cannot buy it. You can't earn it. You can't know enough. You can't go through classes to attain it. I'm reading straight from the Word of God. He says, a gift. You can't go to classes to earn it. You can't purchase it. It's a gift. And second, it must be received. It has to be opened. He's talking to her about the gift of eternal life. Now watch how she misses it. I'm telling you, we're our greatest obstacle. She misses it. I'm going to read down just a little bit further, all right, verse number 10 again. Uh, the gift of God, he said, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have instead said to him, y'all help me, what should she have said to him? Give me a drink, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, verse 11, sir, now she's getting logical, um, you don't have a bucket, and you don't have a rope, and so this offer sounds good, Right? but I can't see it with my eyes. I can't comprehend it with my brain. You're offering me water that's at the bottom of this well, or so she thinks, 
and you don't have a bucket and you don't have a rope? How, you, how, how could I have asked you? It doesn't make, listen to what she's saying. It doesn't make sense for me to have asked you for something that I can't see you have. Read along with me, verse number 11. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? See, she's her greatest obstacle to receiving the gift of eternal life. We want to logicalize it. We want to be able to see it in a 10-step program. We want to be able to put it in a test tube. Come on, I wish somebody would help me. But let me speak to your logic for just a moment. In this life, faith and a relationship with God the Father that comes through Jesus Christ the Son, though you can't put it in a test tube and you can't see it happen physically, there is most certainly evidence. Matter of fact, you're looking at a room full of comeback stories. I could tell you story after story from front row to back row and side row to side row from the preacher to the guy who's operating the sound even right now as I'm preaching. All of which would testify the only hope we had to come out of the pit of despair was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lifted us up out of that pit and put our feet on a solid rock, put a new song in our heart, and we are different in every way because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. So we are our greatest obstacle. Let me just say something. She was wanting from him uh, some water to quench her physical thirst. He was offering to her some water that would quench her thirsty soul. Now listen, here's why we are our greatest obstacle. You ready? To being rescued. We would settle for, now you listen to this, we would settle for relief from our symptoms and miss out on the cure for our problem. Listen to me. We will oftentimes settle for relief from the symptoms and never experience the cure for our problem. You say, what are you talking about? Well, when I used to drink, and I know some of y'all are like, you used to drink? Man, yeah, and when I did, I did it, son. I got violent and was a crazy person. You hear me? Anybody, I know probably none of y'all have ever done that, but that's the guy who's preaching this morning, all right? And I've been set free from that. But when I did, when I, when I wanted to, when I wanted to have a drink, you know what I would do? This is not a trick question. You can't help me. When I wanted to have a drink, what did I do? Had a drink. When I wanted to have a drink, I had a drink. And when I did, I'd have a second one. Never just had two. You know what I mean? It was just, and so you say, what's the point you're making here? I had a hurting in my heart oftentimes. Something's unsettled in here. And what I would do is drink to find relief for the moment. And so the relief for the moment I was settling for kept me from the cure that was the problem of my heart. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down out there? When you look at the pornography, it's just, a, it's just a quick turn to something to help find relief for the moment, but it doesn't fix the unsettledness. Listen, there's an unsettledness born in the human heart. Every baby born with its back towards God, and we are, in effect, unsettled in our heart because, listen to me, you may not know this, but it's truth nonetheless. You were made for a relationship with God the Father. That's the whole purpose of you being here. Now, what's interesting is billions of dollars are being made every year on self-help and what am I here for and purpose and all that nonsense. And you've come to the place of that. And I'm able to look you in the face and tell you, here's your purpose. You ready? You were made by God for God. And until you figure that out, listen to me, until you do, you're going to chase your tail. You're going to try to medicate that feeling. You're going to try to uh, pervert God's design to, to, to help that feeling go. You're going to try to work that feeling away and get busy. You're going to set all these lofty goals, and then you're going to achieve them. And each one you achieve, you're going to look in the mirror and say, wow, that unfulfilled, gnawing, haunting feeling is still there. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Oh, because I lived it. And so there's this 
obstacle that stands in the way of you finally knowing what living's all about, and that obstacle is you. And you'll have to come to the place where you acknowledge that before God. You know what I'm praying? I'm praying this today. I'm praying you don't go one more hour with that gnawing, haunting, unfulfilled that's been wearing you out all of your days. She could not understand what he was offering. We'll settle for relief and miss out on the cure. A person that has pneumonia can oftentimes have a runny nose, and oftentimes I hear people say, if I could just breathe in my nose, I'd be all right. No, you won't. You can spray a little afrin up there, and you'll be able to breathe for a few hours, but if you don't treat the problem, listen to me, it's going to stop up again, or worse situations are going to arise. Too often we relieve ourselves from the symptoms with all kinds of things and miss out on the true answer for our difficulty. Let me move on, if I can, to number four. Look with me. We're just going right through the text. We said, first, Jesus became like us for us. Second, we said, Jesus became like us for all of us. Come on, y'all, like you love that. Third, we said, we are our greatest obstacle to being rescued. Fourth, we attempt to draw water, listen to this, from dry wells. So we have this gnawing, unfulfilled feeling because we were made for a relationship with God. But until we acknowledge that, until we come to a place where we receive Jesus, then we chase it down in all kinds of ways, all right? So let's just read for a moment. Uh, Verse number, look with me, if you will, verse number 16 on down through 19. So Jesus responds back in verse 13. Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him, now watch the principle here in verse 14, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. My question for you is, where are you at in that process? Jesus said, when someone receives me and I quench their thirst, then when I get inside them, I spring up and I become a fountain of living water that that pours out on the thirsty people around me and they come to know the fountain of living water. See how that works? Let me ask you, where are you at in that process? Where do you fit in that scenario? He goes on to say in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may thirst, nor have to come, so I don't have to come here anymore. She was her greatest obstacle. I just want something to drink so I don't have to carry this bucket anymore. Just just give me some relief from my symptom. Just make me sober. Help me quit drinking. God, just keep me from looking at the pornography. God, just keep me from being mean. God, just, and we just want relief from the symptom. We miss out on the cure for our problem. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, now, talk about, let me make a point to you about Jesus real quick. Jesus was the master of verbal train wrecks. Right? She's just, at least on the outside, it looks like she's taking him on his offer. Okay, give me some of this water. Now, she misunderstood. Give me this water. I don't have to come here and draw anymore. You would expect Jesus to say something like, no, honey, sweetheart, baby doll, you're misunderstanding me. Uh, I really didn't mean giving you some liquid water. I'm talking about, but he didn't do that. He said, listen next. (laughs) Huh? Y'all picking out what I'm putting down? Hey, okay, I'll take you to your offer. Give me some of that water. Then he says, go get your husband. Wait, what? Yeah, go get your husband. Uh, What'd she say to him? I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, Come on, y'all. This, this conversation just got awkward, didn't it? I mean, we were just talking about water. Now you've meddled in my business. I can, see, I can see today's culture engaged in a conversation with Jesus because, listen to me, culture will try to tell you that Jesus was all-inclusive. 
that he doesn't matter how you live your life, and he would never say anything to you about how you live your life. Really? Read your Bible. What did he say to her? Go get your husband. Now, he didn't call her names. He didn't condemn her. He just exposed her. But he didn't do it publicly. He didn't do it in front of everybody. He did it one-on-one. And he said to her, but also, listen to me, now, not only did he expose her, because Jesus never exposes you without exposing himself. What are you talking about? Who would know about her whole life, history, except the Son of God? So by him telling her the details of her life, he exposed who he was as he's exposed. Oh, boy, I hope you get that today. So he says, go get your husband. She says, I, I'm, I would imagine in today's time it would be something like this. I ain't married. And Jesus said, you've well said, I have no husband. For you have had, oh, mercy, five husbands. That's exactly right. I like when they read in the head. Five, and by the way, I love the young people interacting. Love it. Wednesday night when I'm shouting amen, I like to preach myself off the stage. <laughs> thank God for young people, amen. And thank you, Mom and Dad, for bringing them in here. All right, I'm sorry. That was a little side note. Uh, for you have had five husbands, in verse 16, you see, I'm mean, excuse me, verse 18, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. He said, in that, you're telling the truth. He said, good job, you're, you're being honest. So I want you to think for a minute about what's going on here. Listen, we attempt, Jesus is telling her she's been attempting to draw water from some dry wells. Now, all five of those dry wells were men, right? And so when I think about this lady, I can't help but see my daughters, you know, and I, th- I think oftentimes about ladies as daughters. For, for some reason, after having Maddie, I think about every lady as somebody's daughter, you know. And I try to relate that to God's daughter first, right? But some man's daughter. Every, every, every daughter is some dad's daughter, okay? And so I'm, <clears throat> I'm thinking about this, this girl, and maybe she raised up. Maybe her and her dad, you know, played soccer. I know soccer wasn't invented yet, but you, you just go with me. They kicked ball. They, 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 they rolled stuff around. They played in the yard. And her dad's doing that with her, and I'm sure that he had, like, a future for her, and he was excited for her, and I'm sure she had dreams and, like, what she wanted to do with her life. And, think, and, so, and so somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, she met the guy. We're going to call him number one. And she meets number one, and number one catches her eye. You know how that happens. Y'all remember what it's like. And number one catches her eye, and conversations began to happen, and all of a sudden relationship begins to develop. And she feels like this guy could be the one who is her world. Don't you love hearing people say that? He's my world. She's my rock. You got trouble. Because <laughs> we are flawed people, amen? Amen. And so number one comes into her life, and she's, oh, he's just wonderful. He's not like anybody else she's ever met. Surely she's the answer for her longing soul, that gnawing, nagging feeling that she's had since she was a little girl, knowing that something was missing, there's something else out there, and surely it's number one. She's found him, and surely they develop a relationship, and surely it comes time. Now, wait a second. For what? Hmm. Why would Jesus refer to these five dudes as her husbands? Don't say that loud. Because there are certain intimacies that are part of the definition of a biblical marriage. Can I just say that and we move on? So because those intimacies are reserved for marriage and she's engaged with them with five different dudes, Jesus is referring to them as her, oh, weighty matter. 
So then, he, number one, comes into her life, and I'm certain it came to that moment, temptation, hormones, all the stuff is flaring, and I'm certain that he said, I love you, and listen, young ladies, do not buy the lie. Do not buy the lie. And I'm sure he said, I love you, and I'll be with you forever. And so they proceed. Intimacy happens. And then somewhere down the road, for whatever reason, he's gone. He leaves her. And that which she thought was going to fulfill her has actually scarred her for the worse. And somehow along the way, she meets number two. And number two is different. He's different than number one. Man, he's got all the right words, and he really seems to be a good dude. And surely he's going to be the one that's going to fulfill the longing of her heart. And so she attaches herself. She gives her more of herself to him. She's spending time listening to him and, and, and ministering to him and serving him. And then that time comes, and temptation and hormones flare. And I'm certain he probably said to her, you know, I love you, and I'll be with you forever. And so they follow through with intimacy. And somewhere along the way, Number two is gone. Can, can, can y'all get in the picture here? She continues to try and draw water for her thirsty soul from dry wells. Number one, dry well number two, dry well number three, dry well number four, and dry well number... And she's missing out on the fact that she's now come face to face with the only well that has water that can quench the thirsty soul. And I want to say to you today that you and I, just like this young lady in this passage today, can say that there has been times in our life, the problem with me and you is not that we're angry. The problem with us is not that we're tired or confused or mistreated. The problem with me and you is not that we're unfulfilled. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem is we've been taking that and we've tried to medicate that feeling, and that empty feeling has haunted us, it's gnawed at us, it's almost driven us mad. And because of that, here's what we've done. We've tried to turn to these wells that are empty, wells of, you listen as I say this, because we've driven ourselves almost mad trying to fill the gap, we've tried to medicate it. And narcolizing it won't take it away. It'll just make you numb to it. We've tried to drown it in alcohol. You know what I found out? That unfulfilled, empty feeling, it can swim. We've tried not only to medicate it or to, intoxicated, we tried, I wish somebody would hear me this morning, we tried to seduce it. We tried all manner of sexual perversions outside the constitute of God's design, and we've tried that, and it's left us with the same empty, gnawing feeling that we try to hide with a smile on our face. We've tried to medicate it. We've tried to drown it. We've tried, listen, we've tried to seduce it. We've tried, that feeling just won't go away. We've tried, listen, we've tried, many of us in here have tried to work it out. We say, if I can just get busy enough, if I can build enough business, if I can have enough stuff, if I can buy enough homes, if I can have enough four-wheelers and rifles, if I can just get enough here in this life, then surely it's going to go away. And we've tried to work it out, and yet here's what we found out. No matter what we attain, there's always more to be had, and it's never enough. So, boy, it's uncomfortable, it's terrible, it's haunting, it's difficult, and we've tried all of these things. We've tried all of these things. Some of us have tried to eat it away. Some of us tried to look at pornography to seduce it away. We've tried all kinds of stuff, and yet here you find yourself today sitting in this, in this worship center out in the middle of nowhere, and right now it's as if you and God are the only person in the room, and God is saying to you, I do not enjoy watching your soul thirst because I love you. And I've made a way for you to have a quenched soul, to have peace and be satisfied. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Now, the good news is it's a gift. It's free. You can't purchase it. You can't be smart enough to get it. You can't, you can't make it happen any other way apart from a time of surrender. So, moving on from we attempt to draw water from dry wells, what happens next in the passage? Look back in verse 20 with me. And we're already at number five. There's only one more. Y'all might get out of here before lunchtime. How about that? That's a good deal, isn't it? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Verse number 20. Write this down, number five. We're just, we're just, we're just drawing some conclusions from the text. It's oftentimes, and I want you to write this, and I want to talk about it. It's easier for us to argue than to surrender. Now, how many of you like to surrender? Anybody? Anybody here just wake up and say, I just hope to surrender today and lose and be defeated? Uh, no. How many of you like me instead like to win? Raise your hand if you're in the room today and you like to win. Raise your hand if you like to win. Okay. All right. All right. So listen to how this works. Verse 20. The conversation back and forth. Go back to the scene. Woman at the well, Jesus. He's offering living water. She can't, she's, she can't get out of her own way. He's offering her that which will quench her thirsty soul. She's trying just to get water so she don't have to come get the bucket anymore. All right, verse 20. <clears throat> we're reading right along, and Jesus says, or we're reading on verse 20. He says, uh, the woman responded back to Jesus when he said, go, you know, go get your husbands, and you're telling the truth. Sir, I perceive, I love verse 19. Now, now she's saying, something's different about you. You know all my business. I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she says in verse 20, now listen, there's a pivot moment from verse 19 to verse 20. She could have said, I see that you're a prophet. You know all about my life and my brokenness. Could you help me? But she didn't say that. That's surrender. That's painful. It makes us look small. It makes us look weak. Is anybody out there? We don't like dealing with surrender and yet surrender is what leads us to the great victory. We rather instead say, oh, I wish somebody hear me when I say save face. It's what keeps you in your chair and keeps you from coming to the altar. It's what will keep five people got saved this morning. None of them came down. You know why? Safe. I'm afraid of what people will think if I go all the way down and say it in front of everybody. Today I gave my life to Jesus. We'd rather argue than surrender. Now, he's dealt with her about her spiritual condition. Look what she says. Well, you know, here's the thing. Y'all say we're supposed to worship over there. We say we worship here. Who's right? Who cares? It has nothing to do with her salvation. And Jesus is saying to her, I'm offering you what you can't buy. I'm offering you what you can't do. And she says, well, I want to argue with you about who's right about where we're supposed to worship. Isn't that just like me and you? It's that voice inside your head right now that says, because you know already the Spirit of God is drawing you. Most of you can sit on your face. But there's that argument going, huh? I can't do that. Lord, what will people think? I can't do that. What if I, what if, what if, here's what we say, I'll, I won't keep my end of the bargain as if anybody could. And, and, and we'll have all this argument going on, and God's saying, come to me. I want to rescue you. I want to rescue you. And we'll argue our way right out of it. And we'll leave lost and separated from him. Here's what happens. She argues with him. I want to just challenge somebody today. Stop dodging God. Stop dodging him. Stop playing games. Stop running. You see revival sweeping across this land. Let it sweep across your heart today. You can't imagine how good life is. You say, how can you say, I've tried it both ways. I've tried it both ways. I'm speaking from experience. Are you with me? Anybody else will say amen to that if you tried it both ways? Amen. amen. There's one way. It's easier to argue. Stop dodging and start surrendering today, today. Stop settling for relief. That thing you keep turning to, that sexual perversion outside of marriage, that alcohol, that, that substance, whatever it is, that food, whatever you're turning to, stop turning to that empty whale today and come to Jesus, the cure for your problem. Finally, I've got one last thing I want to say. Can you believe that? We've come to the conclusion. Verse 21 to 26. Write this in your notes. Worship is all about the who. 
not the where. Now, Jesus is going to clear up. She, she wants to argue, so he says, all right, let me just settle this argument. She said, you Jews say it's Jerusalem. We, Samaritans say it's right here on this mountain. Which one's right? Jesus said, we're all wrong. Because now, Jesus said, there's coming a time, and then he says, as he's talking, and now is, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So listen to what he's saying to her. You're, you're arguing about where to worship. You can't worship God unless you come through the Son. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 3 to a man named Nicodemus, he said, unless you're born of the Spirit, you cannot worship God. You've been born of the flesh, but you must also be born of the Spirit. That's to be a second birthday, the day in which you invite Jesus to come and be Lord. The day that free gift becomes your own. And until that day, you're lost and separated from God. You can't worship God. You can't worship God without a mediator. Who's the mediator? His name? Jesus. Had a man tell me one time, no, you know, I don't, I don't really do that, that Jesus thing. He said, I, I know God. Me and God meet with each other. And, and, I, and, I, and I said, listen to me. This, if, you believe in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. I said, you know, the Bible says you have to worship in spirit and truth. You have to worship in the spirit. You have to be born in the spirit. When, did you, when were you born again? Well, I'm not. Well, you can't worship God. Now, that's not Book of Terry. I'm reading. I'm telling you straight from the Word of God. I want you to understand today that God is not desiring separation for you and him. He's moved heaven and earth to bring you close to him, but you're your greatest obstacle. All your smart ways of thinking, all the way culture has shaped you, all the difficulties of life that have put chains on you, and there's one escape route, and it's not a 10-step program, glory to God. His name is simply Jesus. In conclusion, he says to her, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And God is spirit, verse 24. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so she's going to have a little rebuttal, right? Because, well, oftentimes we like to have the last word, don't we? You ever notice that about me and you? Even with God, we oftentimes like to have the last word. And so she says back to him, yeah, well, well, okay, you say whatever you want. But I know that when Messiah comes, he'll, he's going to tell us the truth. He's going to get us straight. And then Jesus says, the mic drop moment. The one who's talking to you, I'm he. I am the Messiah. I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. And she's left dealing with that. Now, you come back tonight, I'm going to give you the second half of the message and share a little bit about the trip to Africa, so I hope that you won't miss that. But I want us to focus on this morning this wonderful truth that worship is not about who, I mean, excuse me, it's not about where, it's not about the denomination, it's not about this or that, it's about the who, it's about the person and the work of Jesus Christ the Son. So here's what I want to invite you to do this morning as we consider this great gift of eternal life, John chapter 1, verse 12. Listen with me before we close up, all right? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So, so hold on, y'all, packing up. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're distracting folks. Look up. Who, here's my question. Who has God given the right to become children of God? As many as what? So not just those that come to church, not just those who think in their mind that Jesus is here and that he died, no, but as many as received him. My question for you is simply this. Have you personally received the Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness in your own life? All right? Now, I'm going to ask you that as we bow our heads together. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? And I want to say this, all right? I wonder, because I'm, I'm, I believe with all my heart, just like in the early worship time, there were about five in the early worship time. 
I believe with all my heart there's some people who've come in this room today and your soul is thirsty and you are tired. It's driving you mad. It's empty. It's hollow. You've tried all kinds of things. And Jesus stands today ready, willing, and able to quench your thirsty soul. So my first plea is, is there a brother or sister in the house that might would come to the altar and just begin to pray for the thirsty souls? Would, was there anybody that would do that? Just come pray for the thirsty souls. Would you, would you do that? Thank you for moving and being willing to come to the altar. You know, something very powerful about getting out of your chair and coming to the altar. We've been seeing a great movement of God, a revival all around the world, and we're seeing it happen at the altar, at the altar. So I'm going to ask those of you who are just kneeled down up front, would you begin to pray? There are some thirsty souls in this building. Thirsty. Would you pray that for those that don't know Jesus, that today, today, they would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Would you pray that? He lo- Listen, He moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. He's the only one who can fill that void. Would you stop dodging Him today? Somebody in the room, there have been people praying for you for years and years and years. Mamas, grandmamas, dads, granddads. They've been praying for you to stop fighting against the only one who can quench that thirst. So now with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask a question, okay? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I came in the room and I'm thirsty. My soul is thirsty. Would you just slip your hand up? I'm not asking you to come to the front. I see you there. Just hands all over the place. Just slip your hand up. Pastor, my soul's thirsty. It's been thirsty and longing. There's a nagging. Just raise your hand. Hands up all over the place. My first question for you would be this. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, would, what reason under heaven could you think of that today you wouldn't make sure, get that certain and nail it down and invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? You could do it right now. Do you know that? You could do it right where you're seated. You don't have to come down an aisle and, and shake my hand, hug my neck. Right now, you could say something like this. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you as long as for the sins of the world, and if you would believe he rose from the dead, and you'd believe it in such a way that you'll do what Jesus was calling for her to do, surrender. Just wave the white flag. Lord Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I can't play the game anymore. I can't do life anymore. I'm so sick of this gnawing feeling. All the scripture says you need to say with your mouth is something like this. Jesus, you really are Lord. I'm inviting you to be Lord of my life. You could do it right where you're seated, right where you're riding down the road today. Listen to this podcast while you're cutting the grass or whatever it is that you're doing. You, you, right now, you could invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. He'll receive you just the way that you are. Listen to me. You're into the deal is simply to come by faith in a moment of surrender, and he'll do the rest. So my question is this, with heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say, and I'm not going to call you to the front just like I did in early service. If you're here today and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've made certain of that today, would you raise your hand? I see you there. Any others? Just slip your hand right up. I see you there. God bless you, sir. And you, sir. And you, sir. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And you, sir, back in the back, I see you there. Glory to the Lamb of God. Now, in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to call your name. But you're going to have an opportunity to stand in front of this crowd and say, today I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. And I'm going to challenge you to do that. He was unashamed of you as he hung naked on the cross, bloody and beaten. And so I challenge you not to be ashamed of him. And secondly is this. 
Maybe you're here today and you know for certain that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know the life change he's brought. You've walked with him in the past. But for whatever reason, you've turned to the empty wells again. You've been drawn from the empty well. You've been trying to find peace and fulfillment from those things outside of his design and his will for your life. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to quit flirting with those empty wells. It's time to quit messing with those broken buckets. It's time to come home. Come back home to that sweet spot next to Jesus where your soul is satisfied. Come on, now's the time. Walk away from that garbage and come back home to Jesus. Father, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Church, would you stand with me as I pray? Father, I pray your kingdom come and your will would be done. I pray that those that invited Jesus to be Lord would be unashamed and they'd fill this altar. I pray, God, for others to come today and say, I'm returning to Jesus. I pray for those who come and surrender to ministry, those that will come and turn their lives over to you. Father, take this time and do what only you can in Jesus' name. Hey, you come now. As we begin to sing, you leave your chair. Don't hesitate. Come as you are.